0: actually when these members approach me and say we're worried we're about to lose three four grand a year and our sick pay and we're also worried about what these changes mean for uh, good staff who have been here for decades
1: leaving i'm neil mags and this is bristol unpacked speaking to fascinating bristolians on topics where others may fear to tread Brought to you by the city's community-owned media, the Bristol Cable. In this week's episode of Bristol Unpacked, we talk to Josh Connor. He is a trade union staff member at Unison and has been working with care workers at the St. Monica's Trust Care Homes in Bristol. Currently, there are strikes at the care home. Uh, they are heavily connected to Bristol's notorious merchant venturers, and this has attracted national attention. There's been messages uh, on social media, including from the man of the moment, RMT's Mick Lynch, and it's part of a wave of emerging industrial action across the country. So we chat the specifics of the strikes, the current political moment, and what's coming up next in this rocky period for both local and national politics. And if you want to become a member, don't forget you can chuck a pound in a month. And uh, tell you what, if you want, suggest some guests and we might get them on this show. Enjoy. For somebody like yourself, how would you politically, would you describe yourself? Do you, do you have a kind of label? Do you say, I am a this or I am a that? Or... Uh,
0: Yeah, I mean... <sighs> I find I, I use socialists more often than not. Um, I'm a Marxist as well, because um, I think that there are, there are lots of different types of socialists. Um, but kind of Marxism is very much where I'm kind of politically and, and for aligned. And the,
1: for the uninitiated, just define that quite simply, what that is and what that means how long talked, have you but, got yeah, well, yeah indeed uh, quite quite if as reads, much as you can Recent yeah. capital
0: um yeah so uh well i'll just kind of give a, a brief you know marx was a, a kind of economic and political philosopher um who has um i think some very uh kind of clear understanding of how value is created by the worker um and where value is kind of stolen from the worker through um the the kind of wage system and profit um and yeah basically a, a, a demand towards moving towards a more, a more communal form of um social relationship
1: and i mean it's also uh, uh, what's been quite interesting to me so I'm, how old are you josh I am twenty nine. You're twenty nine, so I'm I'm uh, in my sort of early to late late thirties, early forties. Um, and um, I, when I when I was kind of younger, I, you know, there were um, there were a lot of people, I guess, that were uh, who, who would define themselves as as Marxist or you know people that were a little bit older than me that were sort of members of the Communist Party. A lot of them sort of lapsed and then went into sort of New Labour. But what I've noticed with uh, the younger generations, people of your age, say under 30, um, is that there is an increasingly amount of people that identify as being a Marxist. You know, there there is a, um, a resurgence. Would, mm, would, yeah, would, absolutely. Would you think there is? No, for sure. I mean,
0: um, I was on the picket line on Saturday morning um, with a, uh, it was actually a, a relative of, <laughs> Uh, One of the residents that resides at one of the properties. Um, And he he used to be in the Socialist Workers' Party back in the day, kind of 80s and 90s, um, and kind of, yeah, kind of brought up as a Marxist. And we were discussing how, kind of, between then, And now there was it kind of all collapsed under Blair in terms of how often and and I guess as the fall of the Soviet Union happened and so on and so forth like those kinds of things very much went out of fashion but it does seem like yeah starting with my age downwards even like the the number of young young uh, people coming up with uh these new ideas has, has been incredible really just yeah
1: i thought i was young in the movement people forget that about the you know when people, when you talk about the um the, the the last two general elections the actual share of the vote and if you look at the actual voting what you know which would then under obviously the Corbynism and a more a more left labor party than we've got now with starmer is that the you know voting under 30s was huge um, mm. and consistently stayed at a high point in in both elections that so i think that there is a there is a um, I mean young people seem to be far more politically engaged you know not just in the protest movement in in party politics and in organizing than I've seen for a long time I think you make a good point I think it's a bit older than me the older generation than me so say 15 years older there's a lot of them I think I think you're right with the collapse of 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 the Iron Curtain kind of that that sense of utopia was was the bubble was was burst and and Mm. I think what often happens um like ex-smokers, really, or even um, I don't know, sort of Eric Clapton. He's a, you know he's an ex-heroin addict that apparently doesn't let his son drink Coca-Cola. So what a lot of times, lots of sort of lapsed communists go to the other extreme and have become sort of evangelical New Labour centrists. I mean, if you look at that that New Labour uh, inner circle, you know, an awful lot of them, you know, Charlie Whelan, Mandelson, they were all ex-commies. Yeah. Um, so that happened politically, but I also think I also think culturally. So my generation. I was the kind of rave generation, really, and kind of you know euphoric, unifying sort of drugs were around, and music, and 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 sort of opting out for an alternative lifestyle, or kind of overcoming that stuff rather than politically protesting and engaging uh, with the system, uh, which which you could say is a good or a bad thing, you know depending on your perspective. But there there has been a huge increase. I don't just think in terms of. Environmental, politically, I, I, I used to moan that, that young people weren't politically engaged. Whereas I don't think I've seen a generation um, in my lifetime like this. No, no, absolutely. And I think that like, it brings me back
0: to that word "radical" a little bit. Um, you mentioned Corbyn, and certainly within the UK context, I think that the ideas, although I wouldn't actually put Corbyn's ideas as necessarily that radical in comparison to kind of what could be proposed. Um, that for a lot of people they're incredibly radical they they're very much outside of the norm right which is like not what the kind of centrists are offering it's more of the norm but like much more of the norm um or more of uh, particularly the you know the 90s um where the radicalism of of corbynism as as limitedly radical as it was kind of did give people a picture of an alternative to a kind of a failing capitalism uh, and we, we were very much in that kind of late stage of of capitalism completely not
1: not succeeding in what it was designed to do so, so say you are somebody's on on the left of, of politics in this country you might be a bit cynical and skeptical of um the direction of labor party now so you might be thinking i'll sod it um Let's go back to protesting. Let's go back to direct action if we want to, you know, create real change because it isn't going to come now from a Labour government, even if they get if they get in power. Would that be the thinking? A bit, you think? Certainly, from some. um,
0: In terms of like, I I would take protest and direct action to be useful, but have limited use, Um, and I think it it should be kind of considered and deployed strategically. Um, You've got groups arising like XR where that is. Actually, just their whole theory of change is protest and direct action, um, and particularly getting arrested, uh, which I don't think is a great idea, personally, observing uh, the student movements of 2010-2011, um, just around the same time as Occupy is happening. Um, we had the riots, we had the kind of break-in at Milbank. Like It was a very exciting time from the outside to be like, all all of this stuff as like an 18-year-old. Um, and so, certainly, in like in my political journey, I have you know tended at the beginning towards kind of a, a voluntarist, like let's get out there and I'll do a thing, and like a group of us can go off and do this, do this action or this protest, um, because there is something like thrilling and exciting about that, and you you know you kind of put yourself in that position, and it's you you genuinely believe that you are there to make a difference it's not that you're like showing how much better you are than other people you're just like well someone's got to do it and i I guess it has to be me and that comes from i mean how we hold up particular individuals in in history as well right like there's kind of Figures of of movements that are like the figurehead when actually the reality of it was one, the people that now hold them up as these amazing people would have hated their guts at the time and often tried to get them killed. Um, but two, there was loads of other people doing this stuff alongside them. When you've got a lot of, like, not all young, but a lot of young, impressionable people needing something to do and looking up to people that have been involved in the movement for a little while. They're like, oh, okay. I I guess this is how we do it. Then let's let's just throw ourselves fully into it.
1: And it is, I I guess, also dare I say, traditionally the union, uh, traditionally the protest movement um, has been. You know, you've had a kind of a weird sort of mix of uh, middle class students, but you know, working class labour unions sort of together. When you see Extinction Rebellion, it kind of—I mean, I think it polarizes. I'll ask you this because I guess you sit between the two. But a lot of sort of old trade unions or guys I know are quite cynical about Extinction Rebellion, or that, and and they they almost seem quite cynical about some of the new unions because they're not labour movements. I mean, I'm quite cynical
0: of extinction rebellion. I think it has very limited use. Um, they've they're very good at marketing themselves, and they're very good at getting into the press. But I think that, as I say, without like the tactic of direct action being part of a broader strategic plan, where you're actually building power through institutions structurally, um, it's it's not going to succeed and yeah but certainly true of, of the kind of the new unions um the kind of non-tuc affiliated unions so united voices of the world particularly um have been doing some kind of really incredible kind of small-scale organizing um and getting wins and seeing kind of quite impressive wins for particular workplaces there are i think structural questions within the way that they organise of of whether it is scalable so i kind of do understand like the old trade union way of like how is that going to work but like don't get me wrong the old trade unions have their massive problems as well um, yeah, and, and generational as yeah. well that
1: you know you they're losing you know what traditionally have been for, you know for a number of reasons i know losing members so it the the the, the um you know the old trade unions need to start to get younger members don't they so they need to be well, sort they, remem- they need to remember how to be radical like
0: this the, i think this word is probably going to keep coming back up but they they do actually need, need to remember how to be radical and interesting
1: i, it, I think what's really interesting is that, that you've had this sort of narrative which which gets repeated and i understand it because when you're in power you can you can you can change things this whole that we you know the labor party shouldn't just be a a protest movement and people want to you know create change just a protest isn't enough right now we've come to this sort of like we and and that was the thing that was a shtick that was chucked at a lot of young sort of momentum Corbynista kind of you know maybe some of the people that you might know in in, uh, in the city as well as well as nationally and then what sort of happened I think with the cost of living crisis post pandemic perhaps as I said earlier cynicism around the direction of the Labour Party you know which is maybe you know the polls are, are, are you know are in this favour it's sort of moving perhaps in the direction of. A a Labour government, perhaps more so, but you know, people are some people are uncomfortable with that politics. Don't think change is coming. And then when Kirsten Starmer came out and didn't support the RMT rail strikes, uh, David Lammy, I think he's now done a done a done a U-turn and uh, didn't come out and support the airport strikes. I think when when uh, Mick Lyons came out from the RMT and started doing the rounds in the media overnight, that did like was the greatest PR job for trade union action I've seen for about 30 years. And suddenly even people that are a bit cynical about it were like, oh, I quite like him. Oh, I can see why they're doing that now. There's been a shift in consciousness, I think.
0: Yeah, McLynch did a bang up job in that media, Mick round, Lynch, right? sorry, not McLean's Yeah. Policies, no, yeah, like, yeah. Um, and I think there's a couple of reasons for it. I think a lot of people have have led into, oh you know, he's a he's a real working class voice and that's why. And I mean I've I've done media into like soft media interviews before. They're just hard to do. Like it's a lot of practice as well. It's not just about being an authentic voice. It's like knowing what you're going to say, sticking to it. Um, and he's clearly done that incredibly well. He hit his lines, but not only did he hit the lines for the RMT, he hit the lines for the movement as a whole. He hit the lines for workers facing a cost of living crisis and connected the dots for people. But I kind
1: of think, in terms of the you know the PR game, um, I think I think the RMT won that. And I think yeah. brought a lot of people with them. Absolutely, and see, I I
0: actually had this conversation with someone today, um, who I have a number of disagreements with on on political questions. Um, but we were talking about that exact thing, and uh, the guy I was talking to was saying, "Well, actually, I think um, Starmer has his finger on the pulse. You know, he understands he understands the the view of the nation, um, and he actually thought that it's the correct like." not that it, it politically is the correct thing but in terms of like strategy what yeah. most people want yeah, yeah, yeah what yeah, most yeah. people want is for Starmer to hold that line which i i found incredibly like surprising given that one yeah it seems quite obvious that like, i don't think it was just the media class that turned on that line i think that there was a genuine kind of surge amongst the the feeling of the country that that was not expected and not what we want um and not only that if you have a look at um other kind of people who tend to be uh, positioning themselves to, to take up higher positions, like West Streeting, let's say. Um, he knew, I think he knew better than Starmer. Yeah, yeah, good point. Yeah, yeah, he, yeah. Because yeah. he was out, you know, I, s- I spoke to him on the, on the TUC march on the 18th of June. He was out marching with the trade unions. He was kind of, he's been very visible recently.
1: Even Mayor Marvin Reese was down at the Bristol Temple meets with the RMT, yeah. Okay, so, so on, on the protest kind of stuff and on trade unionism, this is like effectively your job. Your full-time job is a, 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 um, your union staffer at Bristol Unison. Yeah. Um, a lot of people kind of when they think of unions, I think they think like a rep, you know, a union rep at work. But somebody like yourself, what, what, what kind of things would you do as, as a full-time union staffer? Um So I think it's right that people think
0: of the union rep at work. Like that is my ideal situation for a union. Um, We have massive unions in, say, Unite Unison, particularly where we've got so many thousands of members. Like our branch alone has nearly five thousand members in it. Right. About half of them are council workers. Council workers have a number of reps between them. There's you know, discussions that go on between the unions and the councils. There's kind of an ongoing relationship there. The other half of the branch out in the voluntary sector, private social care, uh, school support, staff and academies. And for a lot of them, they don't have a rep in their workplace. Um, we don't have an agreement with the organisation to you know, have negotiations and so on. And so... When they need support and help, where their rep would be, typically that's where myself and I've also got my colleague Steve Mills, um, who uh, does the same job as me within the branch. So we do we do do a lot of the kind of stuff that you'd want a rep to do. Um, we do the individual representation grievance disciplinary meetings, but also the kind of the the freedom that we get as as kind of branch organisers is obviously we can move between workplaces in terms of where our focus is so what i'm kind of tasked to do is find people who would be and want to be good reps kind of support them in kind of coming into that position obviously they get training through the union but a lot of the time it's about uh, a bit more of that kind of handholding nurturing at the beginning and there's a lot to learn about how we engage with our colleagues around us, around stuff around trade unionism, um, particularly in sectors where that hasn't historically been uh, the culture there. Um, so obviously we'll, we'll go on to talk about the care sector particularly, but it, there are massively industrialised sectors in the UK um, with very strong trade union membership and you know, a plethora of reps. And for them, they uh, pretty much managed to kind of run through elected Uh, positions like reps and then regional organizers that are elected and so on and so forth and then for some of the unions it it just can't work like that because of the way that they've been set up um but it is really important to like support uh and kind of mentor new reps one so they don't feel like they're gonna screw up how do you you identify people in in organizations or sectors so Uh, more often than not it is people kind of putting themselves forwards if there's a collective issue if we kind of have a couple of members or like a number of members in an organization this is obviously what happened at St. Monica trust we had a number of members they say uh, a couple of people send emails in saying oh this thing's happening you're my union can you help me and we have a look and we're like right well you haven't got a rep there so i guess that's my job um and then from there kind of working with the membership uh, particularly as as i say in collective issues um and you do start to see kind of the people that have the kind of qualities needed for a rep and that's not always the same as the leaders of the group sometimes you'll have people who are you know everyone pays attention to and everyone listens to that's not necessarily who you need as your rep but the rep does need to know who the leader is And they do need to like have a good relationship with them or work on a good relationship with them in order to kind of bring everyone else along with them. Um, But really like, you know, depending on what the workplace is, it can either be a lot of work or not a lot of work. And really, uh, you know, the best rep is someone that's dedicated to making theirs and their colleagues' lives better through trade union organising, like understanding that their power is together.
1: Your trade union... um... It's kind of, it wasn't traditionally seen as that left, was it? But since you changed the general secretary, Dave Prentice, the former general secretary, would be seen as quite sort of centrist. Now you've got a new general secretary, Christine McKenna, is that it, right? Mackennaia. She is an ex, she's an ex-communist party member. So, so is it, have they sort of shifted politically uh, a little bit, the union. Um <laughs> I'm going to hold off talking too much about
0: the uh the general secretary of the union that I work for um and her personal political leanings. Um I actually I actually don't know loads about like the individual trade secretaries that have been there. I know what other people have said about them but I like I don't know their their personal histories. Um I do know that there is a bit of a power struggle happening between what many in the union see as the kind of left wing of the union and Christina at the moment. So arguably there is there is a left group that is, you know, they currently hold the presidential position um, within the union. Um, it was Paul Holmes. Uh, it's now someone new, I can't remember their name, they just got elected at conference, happened a few weeks ago. Um, so there is, there is still... Yeah, uh, whether she was more left than Dave Prentice or not, there is certainly still a kind of left contingent
1: that would would like to see the union doing more. Um, oh, okay, so she's not left enough. <laughs> yeah, okay, okay. Um, it, is, it is the biggest, uh, largest union in the UK, unless we'll move on to the um, uh, care care workers. So you, you, you're, there are you know most of the I think um, the majority of the care on the whole uh, across the board except sort of social services is sort of faring out to private and third sector now isn't it
0: yeah yeah absolutely um the number of kind of council run um social care services is been cut to the bone um and uh, certainly within Bristol we've been fighting the kind of uh, to prevent the cuts to the remaining services um stuff like South Bristol rehab centre uh, there was kind of a big fight about Uh, just around the time of the budget um, and they were looking at outsourcing um, uh, Concord Lodge I believe as well so there are a couple of like remaining bits but absolutely most of it is out in the private sector um, and just kind of uh, sometimes joint funded between the health service and and local government for individuals care plans and sometimes just completely privately funded um, depending on you know what people need and and how wealthy they are,
1: and uh, there is a or, or kind of seen this sort of crisis in social care, kind of um, nationally and locally. The, um, the 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 industrial action of St Monica's uh, Trust uh, is kind of hit the news. You know, ironically, we spoke about him earlier. There's actually a social media video uh, by Mick Lynch. Uh, supporting from the RMT supporting St Monica's Trust giving a message of solidarity and support to all the members uh, that are on strike at St Monica's care home uh, at the moment down in Bristol Eddie Dempsey as well uh, local MP uh, MP for Bristol North Darren Jones Barry Gardner quite a lot of people have come out um, in support of what is quite a small strike was quite yeah. a small amount of people striking
0: I'm good at my job I know <laughs>
1: um, <laughs> yeah. Uh Did you is no. it you? Were you sneaking them on WhatsApp to put videos out? Was it you uh, doing that, Josh? I mean, be honest. Come on. No one's listening. I, uh, yeah. Um yeah, no, like I'm quite happy to
0: admit it that part of our strategy in order to help these carers win is to get their sacrifice in terms of taking strike action and their story in front of as many people as possible and obviously we do expect the trade union movement to stand in solidarity with um, anyone that's on strike and you know I'm sure at any any point you ask a general secretary oh these guys are out on strike and you haven't heard of them before do you support them obviously they're going to say yes um, but that doesn't mean we don't appreciate the time taken out like even as minimal as it is for them to kind of put their face out there and put their their support behind behind striking workers and i know it actually particularly um video like it was i felt that was quite important because this is a group of workers who have never really been in a trade union before, certainly never taken strike action before. Um, we saw a kind of a tripling of the membership over the period that we've been organising towards this particular dispute. Um, and so, yeah, half of them had only just joined a trade union, and they will have seen his face around, even if they didn't know who he is. They saw his face around. In fact, I set up a I set up a WhatsApp chat with a load of the members over the time, and. Um, kind of unprompted one of the members shared a video of me and she said i don't know who this guy is but he speaks a lot of sense i was like yes great knowing that i was like pushing to try and get him on a video <laughs> <laughs> great because um, i was like great they're talking about it because i need like as we said before like it was a very much like on everyone's lips and people were paying attention in a way because that people have become i think people have time. felt
1: disempowered and they you know they've seen in particular i don't know the amount of things that in this government's got away with and covid contracts and 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 you know how lack of you know even in bristol there's certain things you think that there's just no accountability anymore so when and people feel like they feel voiceless i think so when somebody like him emerges and they're like oh this is somebody that's sort of talking talking you know to us or talk of us people can kind of relate to that just to drill into some of the detail on on the um on the on the industrial action by saint monica's this this is um Basically, uh, over not over sort of but base sort of rates of pay, uh, particularly for night and weekend work yeah, and sick, so, sick, sick sick pay. Just give us a bit of detail about absolutely. that. Absolutely, um,
0: yeah, and there are a couple of other really important bits as well. which I'll touch on. So, um, a, gen- uh, a brief history of it. So, Monica Trust, um, sometime last year, I think, started putting out uh, a new contract to people that they were employing like new workers um they had a different base rate of pay they also had different enhancement rates for nighttime and weekend working they had a different sick pay scheme um and a couple of other kind of things changed in that as well so that was that was new people that joined the company that's what they get all the old workers some of which actually very unusually for the care sector have been there um 10 20 years some of them they then offered it out voluntarily to the existing members of staff sometime like last November-ish um, and said, look, some of you will be better off. Some of you will be worse off. Here's you know a broad calculator if you want to have a look and work out w- w- what you want to do. But if you want to voluntarily sign up to the new contract, uh, go ahead. That's a perfectly acceptable way of, of doing things right. Like Absolutely. People can have a look at deal and make a decision whether or not they're going to take it. Um, and so some people signed up. Lots of people went. yep, yeah, no, going to lose out a lot, lot of money if I take that. Not going to change. And then around about um, February time, that's when our members got in touch with us saying uh, the trust have told us that there's some changes on the horizon. They haven't said what they are. They're asking us to kind of employ, uh, elect employee reps, and um, help. So I went, okay. Well, usually the only time that there's kind of an election of employee reps, Is um, there are sort of specific uh, legal statutory processes that you have to do this with. One of them is uh, 2P, when you transfer workers out of an organisation, um, and the other one is mass redundancy. Um, so I was like, okay, well, it would be very surprising if they were doing mass redundancies in the care sector right now, like they are struggling to employ people. The, uh, there's some case law that basically says, if you want to do a fire and rehire process, you have to basically follow the mass redundancy process. So that was what kind of rung alarm bells. I was like, okay, well, we don't know what the, what the proposal is yet, but members have said that there were these new contracts floating about last year. Lots of people are going to be worse off. And now they're saying there's probably a fire and rehire on the table.
1: And some staff in line to lose up to three and a half grand a year.
0: Yeah, yeah. And I mean, don't get me wrong, I've actually seen way more than that. Like you all have seen in various of the press and press releases, the numbers changing. It's actually been kind of kind of quite hard to like get across. I've, I've been trying to get across a reasonable number uh, based on like an average. Some people are losing 200 quid, one woman losing five and a half grand. So like there's so quite one, a big one, difference. One four,
1: there's 500 care home staff there and one in four are facing... Uh, potentially up to 13% cuts on their salaries. Just want to jump in there and tell you a bit about the Bristol Cable, if I can. Uh, we are a cooperative and a membership organisation, which means we don't just rely on grants, but we rely on membership fees. People pay a pound or a fiver or whatever they can afford every month and they get a chance to shape the sort of stories we tell we have regular agms and meetings and you can be involved in giving your say in the type of stories you want to cover the people we want to even interview on this show so if you're interested just jump onto the bristol cable website and have a look about uh, becoming a member and try and support us on this mission to change the media in the city back to the chat There has been some pushback from the from the organisation. I want to see what you say to this. Yeah, the CEO of the trust, who incidentally earns two hundred grand a year, said among more than five hundred colleagues who work at trusts care homes, this strike action is only supported by sixty four individuals. And he has said that uh, they've been subjected to a campaign of misinformation by the union. union. We still
0: haven't kind of worked out what he's meant by that yet. Um, So I think one of the things, one of their main lines is they're saying, no one will be worse off. We've never wanted anyone to be, he said this to the BBC, no, we never wanted anyone to be worse off um, from the beginning of this process. Now, I can tell you for a fact that's not true because at the very beginning of this process, there was no hint of pay protection in there. Uh, proposals um i've had one meeting with uh the hr director called julie hayden uh, along with some other unions and in the emails beforehand she was very clear that it was not to be a negotiation she was only there to provide information so that we could advise our members and i went in and went i know you've told me this isn't negotiation but the fact of the matter is i'm uh, here to negotiate so uh this is, you know, I, I was, uh, I'm going to put across our views um, and you're going to have a problem if you don't take them into account. And one of the things I said was it is it is perfectly normal for organisations to go through a, a, a change process and sometimes they need to revisit terms and conditions. It is not normal for that to happen and there to be no hint of pay protection at all and to just suddenly cut people's wages. I'd be expecting at least three years of pay protection. And she was like, well, we're not doing that. So that was the first conversation, and the only conversation we've had directly, apart from some, some email exchanges in which they've continued to refuse negotiations.
1: Oh, they've refused negotiations? Yes, yes, okay.
0: repeatedly.
1: So these um, statements are going through the media then?
0: Yeah. So, yeah, so I had that one conversation with the HR director. And then uh, shortly after, let me have a look, I think I got the date here. Um, so I think in. May, so that was probably back in, um, March or April, I had that conversation. Then in May, they announced that they would be offering one year's pay protection for colleagues. So anyone who was going to be worse off under the new terms would get one year's pay protection. Um but there's some caveats to that. Like they'd also cut some of the hours and it wasn't going to protect their pay based on number of hours um and so on and so forth. So is it, is it, it actually wasn't really true when they protection.
1: say when they say there's a um all all staff are given a four percent pay rise. All staff have been given a four pay rise this so my year. Is understanding that true? Is,
0: yeah. So my understanding is in April uh, they issued an a non negotiated you know they just decided the number um which is not i think how pay rises should be decided Should be negotiated with staff but they issued a four percent increase to the base rate so the way that staff there are paid is there's a a base rate and then there's an enhancement rate if you work nights and a different enhancement rate if you work weekends that's like historically been what it's what it is um so they issued a four percent increase I believe, just to the base rate, um, which means that for some people, their average wages didn't go up by 4%. Um, and they also had to shove some of the lowest grades up to meet the national minimum wage, uh, or the national living wage, as it's now called. Um, so they made that change uh, in April, despite having started this process in March, um, which confused everyone because they'd already put I see. out so what the they were below, rates were. They were.
1: Okay, so they were originally below the real living wage and then they've had to push it up to, to that base rate? So yeah, two things. They,
0: the, it's, uh, so it's the cleaning and catering staff primarily that were below what the new national living wage is. So the minimum wage for those uh, over the age of 25. So uh, it's now £9.50 and they were on £9.14. Um, so that had to go up anyway. Uh, and then they, yeah, as I say, there was a 4% increase on the base rate which frankly when we're seeing 10% um, inflation at the moment is a cut to real wages. So, not, so strike not action is happening,
1: it's, happening. Yeah. it's planned, you started that?
0: Yep, yeah, so we actually had day three of the strike action today. in our money, our pay? Reducing, Reducing hours. hours. Reducing hours. And what made you decide enough
1: is enough? I think
0: they've taken so much over yeah. the last Just uh, so it started last Wednesday on the 29th. Uh, there was a day of action on the Saturday, the 2nd. Um, and today, Tuesday, the 3rd was a uh, a third day um, so they've all been 24 hour periods up till now kind of starting at the So beginning you're going of the down shift. there with
1: cups of tea and yeah. biscuits, biscuits keeping the troops uh, pleased and happy yeah, and all that Absolutely I'm going to do that media thing like Richard Mady does on uh, Good Morning Britain now but what about all those people with their parents and their grandparents in these homes that are going to be affected by this selfish strike action from these staff so, do, you, yeah. do you not feel guilty about that yeah. Josh?
0: <laughs> um, no not at all so uh Obviously, there's always a question around, you know, the impact of strike action when there are humans being directly kind of cared for. Uh, It's going to be the question with nurses, doctors, care staff, um, and it's not. You know, it's not one that unions take lightly either. um, Primarily because unions are made up of the workers who are caring for these people. Um, Like I think there's there's this tendency to describe the workers and the union as these separate things, and they're not. Like I've I've kind of been obviously again trying to kind of give this information to brand new trade unionists. um, And 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 that's an an interesting,
1: yeah. I mean, and also then new. you know, some of these people are new to being in a trade union. So are you not, you know, as a, you know, Bristol transformed, hard leftist, leftist, (laughs) you're whipping up these people to, to be radical, yeah, uh I mean
0: I, I think there's, say, yeah. like, <laughs> there's a need to be radical. I'm I'm unapologetic about a militant union strategy. Um I think there's there's often, I was having a conversation with an old man outside one of the pickets today who had come to meet meet the uh, partner of one of the residents who was residing in the care home. And he was complaining about, you know, like, might's not right and the power of the unions in, in the minor strikes was a problem and, you know, it's, it's good we're not there anymore.
1: The three-day and day was, week and all that, yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah. Um, and I was like, well, you know, I, I don't i'm not necessarily going to agree on that but frankly you've got nothing to worry about right now because the unions are nowhere near that strength <laughs> so i i i have
1: no apologies to make about a militant strategy when everyone's so weak in 1979 50 53 percent of workers were union members um and i think now it's fallen down to about it's, it's about 20 percent though yeah sounds about yeah. right and, um, um... But, you know, so, yeah. We were so this whole about thing about chair. holding the country to ransom and all that kind yeah. of stuff—it's it, it, on a slightly, it's on a, you know, it's on a different level. This is about workers, you know, and and Mick Lynch. Sorry to keep sort of putting <laughs> him on a <the> pedestal <laughs> all the time. Sure. Bang that drum effectively, which is that you know workers' rights and pay has been gradually eroding and eradicated for the last thirty years, year on yeah. year, and 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 there is a base of people that have felt utterly powerless. Dare you say part of the strategy was to take away the power of the unions, make being in a union not so enticing. And I think whether perhaps there is a sea change happening now, perhaps there are people are thinking this is this is where our interests, or this is where, um, you know, the, the un- a union is where people will be concerned about our own interests. Yeah, absolutely.
0: And, you know, I, I want to come back to that question of like, what about the people being cared for? Because it's a really important one. Um and it's a really important one to our members actually. Um, but yeah, I think that that, you know, there's a lot of reasons that the unions have been defanged over the years, um, whether that be the leadership of themselves, their relationship with the Labour Party, or actually just the employment laws that we have in this country. Like I'm studying employment law diploma at the moment, and it's it's shocking how restrictive The laws are on trade unions taking action, and I think is instructive how difficult the Tories made it, particularly in the 2016 Act. But frankly, you know, before then, um, and Labour to an extent as well, how difficult they made it to take strike action, and that's because it works, and it is actually a balance of power. um, It's a balancing of power between the workers and the bosses. And the bosses who own the things and own the companies and own the capital have loads of power through their ownership of capital and the workers only have each other. And so that's that's really where that kind of unapologeticness towards the militant strategy comes from is actually when these members approach me and say, we're worried we're about to lose three, four grand a year and our sick pay and we're also worried about what these changes mean for uh, good staff who have been here for decades leaving, what they mean for recruitment in the future, what they mean for like uh, mental health and stress levels, and what that means, what, what all of that means for the care of the residents themselves. When they come to me and say that, and they say, what can we do about it? If I don't give them the path to escalate to strike action as not the first thing we do, but understanding that if we don't get movement in other ways, if we don't get movement from when you know the staff submit a petition and we do an indicative ballot that isn't legal for strike action, but we can show the employer the strength of feeling, for example, and they still continue to refuse to move, then there's no question either. I turn around and say, "Oh well, sorry, the law's not on your side," and that's it, I guess, because you you know it's not fair for you to go out on strike. You've got people to look after. Off you go, or you fight absolutely um and so that that was always in my head from the very beginning of this kind of campaign um it was effectively been a campaign of recruitment and ed- and education for, for these members um which is like i knew that the only way to tackle fire and rehire in the current state of the law is through is, is through taking industrial action and you know the clerks workers um in community community union showed showed that massively they, they held up for a long time and they did win
1: do you secretly hope they end up becoming fully fledged marxists as well <laughs> <laughs> if any of them want to come along to bristol transformed events and learn more about marxism uh, very very welcome the interesting thing I, I jeff but the one of the interesting things um which we haven't spoken about um which we do need to touch on just a little bit is that uh, and I made a documentary about them for for Radio Four. Is that, that actually this is um, connected to the Merchant Venturers, Society of Merchant Venturers, um, the the oldest you know five hundred year organisation that goes back to the transatlantic slave trade. They acquired the site in um, in uh, the Wills family acquired the site in nineteen nineteen, and Society of Merchant Venturers basically managed the the original trust endowment fund, which was bequeathed to them when Wills Henry Wills died um in 1922 and they basically uh they got i think it was about 250 grand and they've managed to turn that into x amount of million and they still are still involved almost they, 300 It's again sorry
0: almost 300 million almost 300 million fund. so they're yep.
1: clearly quite good at investing money <laughs> yeah. on, you know and turning that round so the, uh, but but the interesting thing is and i know they've contacted a few people in the media um they're trying to distance themselves a little bit and say no no, no we don't own it we don't run it we, we just manage the trust Um, They
0: have six board seats, I believe, constitutionally out of, uh, yeah, out of 15. Um, And I wouldn't be surprised. So uh, my recollection is that there's three for the church diocese of bristol bath and north somerset um there's six for the merchant venturers sounds like lord of the rings does not it um and then six for uh what they call the st monica trust council which i think is just like a general seat but i also wouldn't be surprised if some of the st monica trust council ones were connected to merchant venturers in one way or another
1: have Um, you had any dealings with them are they trying to kind of are they sort of in the background sort of get their hand in this or or, or uh, not?
0: no no, haven't had. I've been trying to kind of find ways to contact their trustees, are listed on their websites. Um, I've I've mapped out, you know, where the trustees are from and I've found the six that are merchant venturers. Um, so, like, they're definitely there. They're definitely making yeah, the Yeah, and decisions. it's not kind of good
1: look for them because the interesting thing, obviously, they, you know, they've come in for a bit of a kick in post sort of Colston and they're very much in the in the spotlight now and are on a sort of damage limitation PR exercise a little bit. Um, and this sort of this is sort of they, they do champion the Saint Monica's trust on, in all their literature as, as, as it's something their that main they do. charitable arm yeah as, as far they as do. I understand
0: it's their main their main charitable output it's probably where a lot of them funnel
1: their their philanthropy yeah exactly when I and when I asked directly uh, Gillian McCann who's, who was the former master it's now Jane, James uh, freed but she was master at the time you know what sorts of charitable stuff they're involved in the Saint Monica's trusting alongside some of the school stuff was what was pushed forward most. So it's really interesting now that the strike action, they're kind of saying, no, 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 we're not really involved in it. I had a, I had a manager kind of come out. I, just, I don't
0: know his job title, but I believe he was a senior manager kind of wander out onto the picket and start taking some photos on day one. Um, cause I think they were kind of, they were quite, they've been trying to scare the staff quite a lot in terms of like legalese around what you're allowed to do and not allowed to do around strike action. And like when, when in strike action you can be fired and stuff like this, like it's very much scare tactics. So well, he putting kind
1: the of, wind up people that, they, that maybe yeah, might, may I not mean, know their rights. Yeah.
0: They've, they've hired in they've hired in security to sit on each of the gates against these middle-aged care workers like primarily women primarily middle-aged and they've they've hired in security for strike days um i mean they're not threatening security don't get me wrong they've actually been quite
1: lovely Um, there's a strategy for you there's a strategy for you right okay, is that uh, often security get called into these things and events. You should go on a real drive to recruit security oh, yeah. guards into unions. I had a great Did he agree
0: yeah. to it? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, uh, I don't know how many listeners know, but like the kind of um, the point of a picket line is to encourage workers not to cross, not to go into the workplace and to join the strike. Or you are actually also allowed to encourage other workers who are not, like as part of the dispute, maybe they work for a different company, maybe it's the postie, right? You can encourage them not to cross the picket line as well. Um, and often, you know, good, good comrades in the CWU, they won't won't deliver the post that day. They'll just wait. It'll go in the next day or whatever.
1: Okay, um, so they'll, they'll other, other workers from other unions yeah, will, yeah, Absolutely. Show solidarity, yep. Yeah.
0: Um, and and so I was speaking to one of these security guards as he came up for a shift. He was like, oh, is this where, uh, you know, the, the garden house is? Like, I've never, this is my first shift. I've never been here. And I was like, okay, clearly agency hired security guy. Um, quite friendly looking um, and a little bit confused. And I was like, you do not know there's a strike on today? And he was quite taken aback. And he was like, oh, uh, and I was like, so we're asking people not to cross the picket line. It's like, ah, okay. Um, uh, you see, I've given my word for this shift. And I was like, well, you know, the workers here, they're working really hard and, um, they're having their pay cut by, by thousands of pounds a year. And so that's why they're on strike. And, uh, you know, as part of the picket, we're asking workers not to cross. he's like, ah, mm, well, I have given my word today, but, um, Like I've got, I've got a few more shifts booked in, so I'll cancel those on the, on the next day. So yeah, it's actually kind of been quite interesting to have those. And I had similar conversations with, with agency care workers, which they have a lot of at the moment, um, which actually brings me back around to, you know, the, the, the case of caring for the residents over a strike action, right. And just care for the residents generally,
1: um, yeah, you what know, would it, you do hypothetically? Say, obviously you got sixty, or say all five hundred of the workers went on strike. Uh, what would what, what? And obviously, and then you're stopping. You would be stopping, uh, effectively crossing the picket line. What what would happen? I know it's a sort of you know a hypothetical situation. Yeah. Bold hypothetical. We'll go for it. Um, so the employers allowed to request exemptions
0: if they think that there is going to be that level of disruption that uh, they're called life and limb exemptions. So they'd write to the union and say, because we tell them, we've got this many workers in these particular roles, like by role, how many workers that we are expecting to be out on strike. Um, They work in these workplaces and so we don't give names, but the employer can kind of get a sense of what scale of it's going to be. And so if they need to, if they're worried about the safety of anyone, they are allowed to request that the union uh exempt certain workers like if you know that they're gonna have all of their nurses out say for for the home um and they absolutely need nurse there to dispense medication they say please exempt two of our nurses for this particular home um and obviously the union would go sure is it like like if there's no one else to do it we're not going to yeah put anyone in in life and in danger um so that's that's that the other thing is even if all of these 500 um, and actually, there's not 500 anymore because there's been at least 50 workers who have left over these changes. Um, they've had they've absolutely like hemorrhaged workers over the last few months. Um, Long time workers as well, as I say, some, some being there for decades. Um, they also have massive use of agency staff at the moment. And you know, people choose to do agency for different reasons, flexibility of it, the kind of short-term pay benefit, because um, they tend to be paid more. But the thing that agency workers, as good as they can be individually at providing care, don't have, the permanent staff do have, is knowledge of the individual residents. They go from care home to care home on different days and different shifts and they just, you know, they do what they can to people. But they care are crossing the, the picket line
1: there. They are crossing the picket line, but... What do you... Like, this was like, the question that kicks off... I'm, I'm saying mean, in general, yeah, like before yeah. the strike,
0: in general, at St yeah. Monica's, as, as with a lot of places, but also particularly increasingly at
1: St Monica's, That's been happening
0: anyway, yeah. There have been yeah. a lot of agency and it is causing a lot of issues, um, a lot of safety issues, actually, just because when you've not got the right ratio of agency to permanent staff... The, the, you've only got one person to tell the agency staff what those individual residents actually need. There are some hard lines. They need to remove the threat of fire and rehire. They have been, you know, you will hear David Williams saying, um, I can't remember what percentage he's got to now, but, you know, increasingly high percentage of of employees have agreed to the new so terms. So this is the
1: CEO of... Um, yeah, of, um, absolutely. Yeah. And yeah. he said,
0: uh, you know, all these people have agreed to the new terms. Now, the problem is... They've agreed to the new terms. One through concessions, we have won. Like without a doubt, we've negotiated by proxy through the strength of the union. We saw pay protection introduced. We then saw it improved in terms of what it covers. Then we saw it increase to two years. Um, we have seen a slight movement on the pay rates for night times that are on the weekend, um, but not not far enough to cover people's um, kind of pay that they're losing out on. So we ha- we are winning concessions, and we yet to have anyone be fired directly for like fire and rehire purposes, um, which is positive. So the problem is they've held fire and rehire over people's heads. And this is always the problem with it. it is what kind of Darren Jones said in his video, um, that he made for us is like, it's not an acceptable way to negotiate. It's not a negotiation or even a consultation. If the employer says, oh, tell us what you think about this, but also if you don't agree to it, we're only going to force it onto you anyway, or you're out of a job. And so David's kind of waving about of oh X number of people have agreed It's like, what other choices did they have? And I know that mem- members have been dragged into uh, an office with senior managers uh, of the trust that they, they aren't really familiar with, but, you know, they know their position and been told to sign. Oh, why aren't you signing? Sign this now. Some members having five, six meetings, um, like kind of just off the shift, not being told about when it would be and being denied. The right to have trade union representation in those meetings, or even one of their colleagues just to accompany them, like they are being bullied into these positions, um, and it's been a real shame to see. So we need to see that stopping. Um, We need to we need to have negotiations. They need to remove the threat of fire and rehire. Those are like our three red lines now. There are obviously more things we want, but I also do want to, in the negotiations, understand why they're making these changes in the first place, because so far I've heard a number of different reasons from them and none of them really work out. Like they're saying that it'll help with recruitment and yet they're losing loads of staff to these changes. Like people are resigning, people are saying they'll resign. People are saying, oh, well, if we've got two years pay protection, I'll, I'll just find somewhere else to go within that two years because it's effectively a pay freeze. Um, so it's not helping with recruitment. Um, they're saying, you know, that there are co- like post COVID financial reasons that they need to do it. But actually, if we look at their. Um, their reports, their financial reporting—they're in quite uh, the a strong financial, one, financial say, situation. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. in black and white, we're in a strong financial position, and it also says the consequence of the pandemic for the trust in financial terms has been sustainable, uh, substantial, but not a threat to sustainable service provision.
1: Good luck with everything that you're doing. I think what's going to be interesting is uh, not just not, not just this—everything that's happening across the country now. I think criminal law barristers, teachers, bus drivers bin workers in Bristol, friends go on strike rail Votes, workers, CWU in BT, airport, and chemical plant workers, brewery workers, it's going on and on and on. This is like the 1970s again, isn't it? <laughs> <That's what everyone laughs> I mean, gets I wasn't about, about for it, so we'll <laughs> was, see. Yeah, I was too young as well, but um, bring it on, I say. Thank you ever so much, Josh. Really enjoyed talking to you and um, good luck with all your work and um, yeah, no doubt we'll I'll pass across we'll and I'll see you around sometime. Absolutely. Cheers, Neil. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. 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 Many thanks to this week's guest Unison staff member Josh Connor, and we'll be back next week with a brand new guest and another fantastic topic. Thanks for listening to Bristol Unpacked. I'm Neil Mags. A big thank you to Afra Evans, our audio editor, and Adam Cantwell Corn, our executive producer, and also Blue Dot for our music.